When God closes a door, God opens a window, then God cracks a few knuckles, then God kicks a pine cone up the sidewalk, God also chews a whole bunch of gum, God recently quit smoking and is really fidgety.
you very cheeky bitch I'm better bet you red bitch I be freaky halo get that heaven head now bless this I could get the hey yo you know well I with that get rich I'm in every city they say hello to that head bitch Find me in that burrow if you thorough with that bracelet I be looking very heavy metal and reflective I can get that It seemed as though the world itself was coming apart at the seams. But the American people, they just came together. Idolist Delilah, darling, do you like beige in your coffee tea a while? Wild breeze on a day of dawn. We are never, 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 never getting back together. I've never heard that song in my life. (laughs) Listen to the way she sings never. I think that's that's the chorus. Never, never, never. She says never really interesting. Is she like doing like a Blink-182 thing? I think she says never. Never, never, I feel like Blink-182 is always like, if they were doing a version, it would be like, never, never, getting back together. (laughs) I just, I just. So we're rolling. Oh, Oh, we are? It sounds like I'm peeking out. Can you turn my input down? No, we're rolling. 
<laughs> Are we rolling, rolling, rolling? Was that in 1994? Oh, no, I didn't know we no. were rolling. Oh, please cut this. Okay, whatever. I was Hi, seven everybody. in 1994. <laughs> you were seven? I was six. How old were you, Andre? I was ten. I'm an old man. How about you, Eric? I was only four years old. <laughs> you were only... Wait, no, you weren't. You no, weren't you four weren't. years old. No, I was, I was 13. Ah, 13. Like that movie. <laughs> ah, yes. <laughs> you, so you were 13 going on... Like um, that song, 14. Hey 19, only... 13 going 13. on 14. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like... Uh, what's another song with numbers in it? I don't know about you, but I'm feeling 13 at my bat mitzvah. Whoa, I like that. I didn't Playing have... with my stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, what, so... Oh, wait, so you were 13, so you were, like, just understanding, like, what... Like, listening to the... To the tunes, you are developing a musical taste. Developing a taste well, it was the of year musical I, personality. It was the year I bought my first album on my own. Which was what? Uh, the Downward Spiral by Nine Inch Nails. Oh. That's a very good first album. Oh yeah. wait, I'm so jealous that that. Wait, are you making this up? No, no well, one's the first, first album, album was ever that good. You didn't, it was. You didn't buy any Weird Al albums in the my 80s. First no, I was album given was Tragic a second. Kingdom. I think it's pretty. Ooh, cool. that's not bad. Wait, you guys are so cool. I was given just no second hand. <laughs> Weird Al's even worse, but my worth now I can't stop. I'm like my lip thirst duck. Ever since I said I was four, um, uh, I was given even worse that my sister got when she went quote unquote bumming at the mall with my aunt because my aunt had three sons, and so when we go visit in Cleveland, my sister Amy, hey Amy, would go uh, go out with the mall, and then one time she came back. <laughs> The product of their trip to the mall was even worse by Weird Al, and then uh, and then when she got tired of it, I was given that. I, uh, I'm I, I'm fine with Weird Al now. I mm-hmm. I don't like. I guess I just don't get it. Like all of most of his jokes, not all of them. Like I think like a surgeon is actually brilliant, but I mm-hmm. think that there's a Weird Al thing that seems so first thought to me sometimes. Like, oh it's no, just, let me let me counter that. No, like literally everyone in the world will counter me on this, especially uh, boys who were 13 in 1994. But it just seems... Well, I, I was younger when I got the Weird okay, Al. Okay, okay, well, that's... I don't okay, count that fair. as a first album because like I said, it was secondhand. Yeah, no, that's fair. I went out to... Oh, geez, what is that place called? Record Swap. Tragic Kingdom? No. Yeah. Uh, I went out to Suicidal Notes. <laughs> um. I went to Record Swap in downtown Homewood, which was adjacent to a punk club called Off the Alley that's legendary. And I went out there and I bought a copy of The Downward Spiral by Nine Inch Nails on cassette and it blew my mind. Wait, can you remind me? Wait, is um, what's the first track on that album again? Mr. Self-Destruct. Oh, my God. I really like the cover art for that album, oh, yeah. too. Beautiful. The whole thing. Yeah. Um, would you like to hear a few seconds of the first part of uh, the album? Yes, yeah. I would. All right. <laughs> Just wanted to know. Oh my god, I just had to take off my sweater. <laughs> it was so important. All right, welcome to Noisy Ghost. Um, I'm My name is Eleanor Russell. I'm your usual host. Uh, I'm also here with special ghost, 
returning, uh, Asia Saunders. We also have a brand new special ghost dog way of the terrier. His name is Luigi. He's in the studio with us, but I think he's asleep. <laughs> oh, we woke up. Thank you, Luigi. You were so happy. I wasn't I was not alive in nineteen ninety four. He was not. Is that uh, the dog accent and the Italian accent? <laughs> It's me, Luigi. A woof, a woof. <laughs> I have to play second on the Super Woof Nintendo. And I'm also here with my usual co-hosts, Eric Wenzel and Andre Kello. We're here to discuss the music of 1994. We're here in the studio today on December 31st, 2014. And 1994 was, as I suppose you can guess, 20 years ago. Uh, and each of us have, you know, spent a little bit of time thinking about the albums and songs that we listened to at that time. We're all from various ages we discussed earlier. Um, so, The Downward Spiral, Eric. So you listened to that when you were 13. Yeah. Do you think that's, like, the ideal age to, like, come to know that album? Because I didn't listen to that album until I think I was, like, no, actually... I think I started listening to that, sh- to like industrial and that stuff when I was like in like a sophomore in high school, so or a freshman even. I don't know. Hmm. Well, that- I was I was listening to it on the way over here, and I was, I mean, I was just like, yes, this is the fucking best album ever. <laughs> um, but actually, I was thinking about that that you know because that was around the time when a lot of uh, <laughs> school shootings started to happen, and they started being blamed on music. Wait, is who's the band that die pig die the Catchy little number, isn't it? Remember? Body count by oh, it was a heavy let metal. Let the bodies at the floor. That was screaming. It was Cop Killer by uh, by Body Count. Oh, and it was, was a heavy the... metal band fronted by oh, Ice T. Oh, I thought it was. I guess they. I thought they were quoting "Let the Bodies Hit the Floor," but I guess no. the only lyric to that afterwards. song is "Let the Bodies Hit the Floor." So yeah, there's no. other there's other lyrics like oh, "Nothing's Wrong with Me." <laughs> Thank you, and, uh, <laughs> Somebody get these bodies out of here. We're, you know we're having people in here to dance later, it's right? It's so crowded. Yeah. We're having we get those later. feet on the dance floor after we clear up the bodies. After we clean up the feet, we'll get some feet on the dance floor. Well, first there was a bunch of horses because they shoot horses, don't they? And that <laughs> had a bunch of dancing in. And then they're like, goodbye, horses. <laughs> that is one of my favorite songs. Never yeah. Tear I love me that song. away. Anyway. Um, but I was thinking, so a lot of, a lot of really intense music. Uh, gets scapegoated. Um, and I was listening to that album, and I was actually like, this is a really, like, this totally got me through those times. And I also, like, when you listen to Downward Spire, like, he, instead of killing himself, he made this album. Yeah. And Was he sober at that point? No. Reznor? No? No, that was, yeah, that, that happened, like, after Fragile. Yeah, you're right. Um. Yeah. And then there were, today there was a song that I never, I mean, I know that album by heart, but there was one today and I was like, I never thought of it this way. Uh, it's called, I do not want this. And it's totally about being depressed and like everyone around you not getting it. And then like the way people are like, why don't you just snap out of it and like get the fuck over it. And Which when you're 13, I can totally see is like the most compelling thing. Like I totally get well, that. I never, That's what I liked about it when I was younger. Too. Yeah. I, I mean, still like that. Album. Just all that emotion. But I never had that insight about like, oh, this is totally about, I mean, I know it's about depression, but like the understanding I have of depression is like a clinical condition in the way I have uh, certain friends and stuff that, that are really critical of depression and like think that it's, you know, people just being lazy or something. And I'm like, this song is totally about, I mean, cause it's just like, you don't know how I feel. Shut the fuck up. I don't want this. It's not like I'm happy that this, not you know, doing it on purpose. Yeah. And I was like, man, this album keeps giving. Yeah. I like also, 
just how unforgiving it is in mm-hmm. like in that sort of mood in that like a- anger necessary or no that sadness tinged with anger like mm-hmm. i think that there's this sort of false conception of industrial music as being like this like raucous angry like techno dance party where mm-hmm. everyone's wearing a lot of leather and i think that what i find what i experience when i'm listening to to nine inch nails or like i don't know what else now I'm blanking. I do know more about industrial music than I know. But there's like... But they also like... The base yeah, of it is sadness. The, ba- the base... Yeah. yeah, they do transcend it. Especially because he's so fucking good at writing experimental music. Yeah. Like, like him and Atticus Finch, Atticus yeah. Ross, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I think that there's this like underlying sadness that takes on... That through... Mm-hmm. Underlying sadness that comes out vocally and evocatively through the lyrics and then... The melody. The melody layered on top with the instrumentation. Mm-hmm. That's what makes it, like, have this angry affect. And, and it's so layered, too. Like, listen to that album. Like, that was... I mean, I guess it's totally honest, but I was like, it's nothing like I'd heard before because it yeah. was, like, the first real album I had, but I, I was just, like... I think anything that anyone heard before. No. That's what makes it a good album. Yeah. It's, he said that he was inspired by David Bowie's Low when he was making that. I don't know if that's possible. I, I thought Low came out after. Oh, oh, Low. I was thinking oh, outside. Oh, no, no, no. Like, yeah, no, yeah. Low. I don't really know. I don't hear that at all. But do you think there's something like yeah, I temporally also... contingent about the album to 1994 or 1993, I guess, when it was recorded? Do you think there's something specific like that album could only come out in 94? I, I just, I don't, whenever I hear the number nine, like whenever I hear the 1994, I just think Downward Spiral. Like to me, that like defined the age and the era, era. Um, and I was also thinking about that today, like that was the first time I started reading reviews and stuff like that too. Cause I was mm-hmm. so into it. I would like go to the library and check out the periodicals and like get all the Rolling Stones and spin and whatever that had anything about Nine Inch Nails in it. And I remember reading a review of that album mm-hmm. and they were talking about the first song we just heard now that starts out the way it did. And they talk about how in the middle, all of a sudden this melody this beautiful melody and, and the the writer had this kind of great cheesy, but like, uh, this is how you write a good review. Like yeah. the way the melody, this beautiful melody grows out of this noise. And, and it's mm. like, it's like a small flower growing out of a crack in the pavement. <laughs> and then it's like, and then the Isn't that Tupac, <laughs> I don't well, <laughs> rose through the concrete. I don't know the way, but they were just like, you know, it was like such a, the image, like the writer describing the image, that the yeah. the music called to mind. I was like, oh man, I don't know. So I'm like, I guess you're looking back and you're trying to find all these. Yeah, maybe I'm like pushing it. Yeah. Well, and I think well because I write now and like, oh, is this the start of it? Like it was these new feelings and these new sounds, and then I'd never like read things on my own that way. Where you're like, I'm getting this magazine to read a review and like read critique or whatever. And oh, yeah, I guess just the way like writing inspired by music and back and forth. Yeah, it's. Well, that's I, th- I think that's useful to think about how William S. Burroughs and David Bowie were mm-hmm. connected in the rise of of, of um, Nine Inch Nails and like Throbbing yeah. Gristle and stuff like that. Um, okay, I feel a little guilty for just like having a one on one with Eric for a second, but I. I well, Andre, you don't like Nine Inch Nails? Into, yeah, what do I you do, I do. Yeah. But my first experience of this music came a couple of years later with the soundtrack to the video game Quake. Oh, yeah, that was awesome. Wait, tell the history of this. You told me a little bit about this, and I think it's so sort of fascinating. So the, the way that it worked was really weird and fun, which was that uh, the video game comes on a CD-ROM, and the CD-ROM also has 10 audio tracks on it mm-hmm. as a CD that you can play in a CD player. And so, uh, you know, you're playing the game, and you're hearing this gorgeous industrial music, 
And it's very frightening because it's all synced up to moments that are choreographed uh, narratively in the game where, you know, some monster crashes out of a wall and uh, scares the pants off of you. And then this, you know, the music. And then, but the thing was that because it was directly referencing the audio track on the disc, if you took the disc out and replaced it with another disc while you were playing, it would do exactly the same thing, but with whatever music you wanted. That's so cool. Whoa. So you could put in a, a CD of like any number. Under of, the pink, perhaps. Yeah. Under the pink, right? <laughs> and so uh, you know. Sometimes it just don't come. Through. Right, you're, you're you got your nail gun, and then when you get the nail gun, the music changes, and it and it goes uh, never was a cornflake girl, oh. right? And then you kill it. Thought guy. it was a good <laughs> solution, hanging with the raisin oh. guy. Yeah. And now, uh, Tori Amos, uh, Under the Pink, uh, that was another record that came out in 1994. That what one... is a cornflake girl? It, it was a reference to... Uh, that bee from the uh, Blind Melon video? No, it was a reference to um, one of her early gigs where she uh, played piano in a commercial for Kellogg's Cornflakes. Oh, oh so she's like, never was a cornflake right, girl. She felt shitty for um, having no. used her piano music in a commercial for cornflakes. No, dude, the lyrics are, yeah, there was a cornflake girl. Oh, I, guess I always thought it was, it's not, it's never... I always thought it was, yeah, there was a cornflake. No, corn no, I never was a cornflake girl. So hanging thought with the Thought there raisin? was a better solution. Yeah. Right? Like, the, I, I didn't want to do this with my music. I thought that there was another way to do it, and it turned out I was wrong. I oh, don't God, like, that ruined that song for What me. I don't like is how she's shitting on the Raisin Girls, because they have nothing to do with this. Yeah, because are, who's the one that's got the two scoops? What's the cereal? Raisin, the raisin brand, raisin the raisin brand, brand yes. girl. Post Leave raisin her. brand. That's, that's now uh, on that record. Another thing that happens is that there are explicit references to the relationship that she had just ended with Trent Reznor. Yes, past the mission. And uh, Trent Reznor sang on uh, I think past one or two the mission. songs on that record, including past, past the mission. Yeah, mission. past the. We haven't. Behind are we still not the past the mission gate. yet? Well, now we're behind the prison gates. I think that's the next <laughs> lyric, but I could be wrong. Go on, Andre. Now, Trent Reznor was also uh, famously in a relationship with a woman who put out a, a famous record that came out in 1994, which was Courtney Love, Love yeah. uh, Whole Live Through This. Yes. Now, uh, that was a whole band. Oh, a yeah. A whole, whole band. band. <laughs> that's right. Did the Red Hot Chili Peppers have an album that year? I don't know. You tell me. Well, let's look it up on the internet. Thanks, Luigi. You have the best ideas. Um, also, Bush 16 Stone, 1994. Well, yeah, but I'm pretty sure that people who are listening to this podcast can just look up a list of records that came out that year. Yeah, we're investigating particular albums. Oh. Yeah, so stop being a dick. Oh, meow. Or should I say woof? <laughs> a woof, a woof. Oh. Uh, googling, googling. <laughs> One hot minute came out in '95, so there was nothing. Uh, in oh, it was there was their uh, they were their talents were lying yeah. in fallow, so they could uh, re. Uh, Asia, do you remember <laughs> buying an album in '94? Wait, no, you said it was Tragic Kingdom, but that didn't come. No, out. that was my that was my first album. I didn't buy any albums when I was seven. Right, I didn't either. <laughs> Wait, I, I didn't buy any. My when yeah. I was seven, I bought Raffi with the lights off. I was still. <laughs> Raffi unplugged with the lights. I was listening to Michael Feinstein still, who was uh, like a, an acolyte of um, like Cole Porter. <laughs> like, and he released a uh, an album of children's music, and that was what I was rocking out to. And the Jurassic Park. Well, I listened to the things oh, that my parents yeah. listened to. 
Yeah. Which I feel like there's a lot of like, like hip hop had moved from just being like a new genre into being something that was actually like Miss like Lauren Hill. That was your parents commercial. listened to hip hop. Yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> my my parents listened to Twyla Tharp and Kenny yeah, G. Yeah, my parents are real no, different t- from your parents. <laughs> Twyla Paris. Real different. Oh. Yeah. So wait. So you would so you would listen to hip hop with your parents, but like you didn't. You were still developing like your own taste in music. I don't even know if I was even thinking about it. I was just like, oh my god. Is there a Janet Jackson album that came out during that time? Um, I don't know. I'm sorry, Andre. I'm s- we'll get back to Andre. Yeah, that's why I wanted to get. I'm sorry. I was wanting to look at the list. That is that is an interesting thing you bring up, though. Like the difference between kids that have like parents that are cool that listen to cool music and introduce you to music, and parents I don't think that it's aren't. cooler. Like I didn't really listen to the Beatles till I was in college because mm. my parents don't listen to the Beatles. Mm. Mm. Janet was 1993. Is that with the boobs over the hands? That's that, right. That one? The boobs yeah. over the hands or the hands over the boobs? The hands over the boobs. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. Should um, be. Yeah, I remember listening to Janet Jackson a lot during that time. Tracy Chapman. I used to listen to a lot of Tracy Chapman in the car with my dad. I did interpretive dance with Tracy, Tracy Chapman in our living room. I used to also listen whoa. to um, <laughs> Sweet like Honey in the Rock was good. I used to listen to that. I enjoyed that. What else? I don't know. Like, I'm trying to think of stuff that, like, I listened to a lot of vocal music, I think, when I was, like, because my parents have always been very interested in, like, and more interested in vocals that I think, particularly my mother, than in, like, instrumentation and, like, paying attention to that. Like, I, I didn't start paying attention to that stuff till I was much older. I just remember dancing a lot in the living room to things that my, my dad had, like, a huge CD collection. Did you have any Kate Bush? Did you listen to Kate Bush? <laughs> Oh, yeah. Nah. <laughs> I just feel, no, I didn't either, and I'm like really mad that I didn't learn about Kate Bush till high school. I don't think there's a child in America that didn't dance to "Are You Running Up That Road" in the living room themselves. <laughs> well, there were a lot of different ways that people were exposed to music in 1994 that was different from, mm-hmm. say, like 1984 or 2004. Yeah. CD clubs. Yeah, CD clubs. Wait, what's a CD club? Oh, yeah, you're too young for this. I mean, it sounds familiar. Are you Columbia House? Uh, you buy twelve records for a penny, and then you pay like seventy five dollars a month for the rest <laughs> of your life. You get nothing until you die. Well, it's it's. Uh, I learned very quickly. It's not for people that like deep cuts. Oh. No, no, because no, they're no. like it's for old people. It sounds like. Yeah, well, because remember they had the, they had the commercial where it's like the two brothers, and the one comes over and he's like. He's like something like, I got the latest album. He's like, album? What are you living in the past? And I was like, even if it's not on vinyl, you call it an album. It's like yeah. you made a collection of songs. But and they were like, oh, you got to get in the Columbia you'd House. You'd like thing. get like a. You'd choose which CDs you'd want to get every month. No, but like, then they would send you stuff. It was definitely stuff a scam. Oh, it was because I, for some reason, I tried mm-hmm. that. I don't know why. That's how I got. That's how I got Monster and Jerky Ooh. Boys and all these other things, and. uh Eric, uh, I'm going to cut you short for I'm a second, sorry. though, because I do... No, it's okay. I just want to go back to Under the Pink, because I'm thinking about how, like, the sort of singer-songwriter phenomenon yeah. was important, and, like, how... It wouldn't get really big for another couple of years, because this was before, like, 95 and 96, that was when, you know, like... Meredith Brooks and mm-hmm. Joel Grace, Sobule and yeah, but yeah. The, but nineteen ninety four was the year that Grace by Jeff Buckley came out and that was like oh, and then uh, he killed himself at what in uh, ninety six. He didn't kill himself. He just was washed down river he, at, at four o'clock, four o'clock in the morning, possibly under under listening to whole lot of love on a boombox. Um, I think yeah. So I think that the, I mean yeah, that wasn't the heyday of singer songwriters, but it definitely like paved the road for what was to come. Would Alanis Morissette be a singer songwriter? Yes. 
Yeah, because on the the Columbia house, I got jagged little pill, and I got that's a good album. What's the Tori Amos where she's breastfeeding a pig and the artwork on the inside? Uh, boys, boys for, for Pele. Pele. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> You're gonna say boys for pigs. Uh, I traded Tori all my boys famous for these album pigs. <laughs> Uh, but you, we were talking about Trent Reznor and who he had relationships with, and both of them had important albums. Is he a good them. boyfriend, or is he like one of those? Everyone seems to have forgiven one? him. Like, yeah. well, in okay, in the Poppy Z. Bright unauthorized biography of Courtney Love, which Andre and I have both read, and I highly recommend to all of our listeners, uh, Courtney Love thought he was a piece of shit for like years, and then was like. Then she forgave him. So I feel like if Courtney Love, who I thought yeah. was incapable of forgiveness, seems I feel like to have she forgiven him. Like, not that she's not right, but I feel like she thinks a lot of people were pieces of shit. Yeah, yeah. I agree. But th- that's the point I'm making, though, is that she feels that way. And that's and yet she still seems to have forgiven Trent Reznor. Well, and she was coming out of a really rough time in her life, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. If they're dating in 94. Yeah. Because, you know, <laughs> that thing. <laughs> That other, thing. That other that relationship. Thing. That <laughs> okay, so I'm looking at Billboard's top hits. Um, mm. Boys to Men was out then. Mm. Oh, that. I'll make love to oh. you. Oh. Ace of Base had three top hits. What? Yeah. Oh, um, yeah, The Sign was the... Well, that was the, the, sign, the sign. All That She Wants and Don't Turn Around. Ace of Base, The Sign was the number one top selling album of that year and sold more than three million copies But that I think year. that like That was Robin's like... first album. That was whose first album? Robin Dugar, our friend. That's cool. Her first was, tape, rather. But wait, didn't the sign come out in like '93 or it something? It came out in '92, but according to the billboards, going. it that star kept shining. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of the number one selling albums of the year uh, 1994 were actually released in 1993, including mm-hmm. uh, R. Kelly's uh, 12 play, which I found out today is called that because uh, it's like so much more than foreplay. Oh no. <laughs> Yeah, because he um, he's so terrible. Has so many how did he even get to twelve? Was he's like, well, five plays? No, it's not no, enough. no, six? No, because <laughs> four that's plays dirty three with times. Four you, know? yeah. you have sex three times one night because that's what R. Kelly would do, right? That's oh, true. Yeah. I thought it was going to be about like the age of his like favorite. Yeah, girl that's what I was going to say. <laughs> that's what I was going to say. Age ain't nothing but number. We've Wait, no, up. it's not. It's twelve. <laughs> <laughs> Man, him and Bill Cosby, they could yeah. come out with a double album. Well, Cosby had a successful. Uh, well, no, it actually wasn't successful because it only lasted a season. The Cosby Mysteries. Oh, uh, that's right. Can, and, I, can uh, I make my? Can I make an awful joke? No, don't do it. If you say it's awful, it's probably the worst. Yeah. <laughs> Asia's probably right, and I'm the host, so I get to say no. Okay. Uh, Brandy's <laughs> album came out around then. I think Monica's album might have come around. Out around Tony Braxton too. was the year before um, the self-titled album. That was a good album. Well, I'll just say if we're still podcasting in 2024, you can hear my joke. All right. <laughs> when we're doing... Um, the thirtieth, the 10th anniversary of the 20th anniversary of the Cosby <laughs> Mysteries. <laughs> oh, my... Wait... Um, never mind. Yeah, there's a lot of like just like chill, chill pop hip hop that came out. Chill then. like poppy pop driven. Yeah, hip-hop. like like hip hop you play at parties. Like now, like that's so interesting. Cause like then barbecue you... music is probably what I would call it. Yeah, like black barbecue music. But that's so different because like that's like there's like a dichotomy then there because there's well no I hate dichotomies but I'm gonna make <laughs> one anyway. I'm like Andre's not allowed. But there's I'm two types of music in this world. Yeah. The kind I like and the kind that's bad. <laughs> no, um, no, I. So like you have this really smooth or not smooth like poppy hip hop happening, mm-hmm. like you're saying barbecue music, and then you have like March of the Pigs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or no, that was a different album. But when no, that was When you talk about barbecue music, what it, in my mind, what I'm thinking of is 
Regulate by Warren G? Mm. No. Because that would that, not be it. Well, that was that's that, cruising music. That was a yeah. big hit that year, and I heard it at tons of parties as a little ten-year-old. Like every place, you know, I, the ten-year-old little Andre. Just everybody, <laughs> you go to their house and they're playing. They're fascinated with this song. Everybody was in love with it. Wait, can you play the song? Because I don't know it. That's one of my one of my bosses from my last job. It was her like her You'll favorite recognize song. It. She knows all the words, and she's she was a white lady from Iowa, and she just loved Regulate. It was a big, big hit. It was number 22 on the board. I love that synth chord. I know, me too. Regulate any stealing of his property. We're damn good. Ray Liotta. But you can't be any geek off the street. Gotta be handy with the steel if you know what I mean. Earn your keep. I don't think the radio version had the vocal intro. It was a clear black night, a clear white moon. Warren G was on the streets trying to consume. Never mind. I do know this song. It's a good song. I love it. And the video is uh, incorporates clips from uh, from a movie with Tupac in it, but I don't remember which one it was. Did All Eyes on Me come out that year? Uh, no. I don't know if this was 1994, but um, whenever I think of Warren G, I think of Garth Brooks. <laughs> Why is that? Because they both have G in their names? Duh. Yeah, there was actually a big lawsuit because they were both on tour and they their sort of like trademark logo was the like typewriter font lowercase G. And they were like countersuing each other saying that they invented like using the lowercase typewriter <laughs> font G. Well, like a courier G? Yeah, yeah, or, or a Times New Roman. Which now Google uses for everything. Yeah, yeah, so. I mean, to be fair, it's not a bad look. Oh, no, it was no, great. It's yeah. a good one. That's why then. Yeah. One, I thought that was really interesting that you could do something that simple. I'm saying, to, be then... fair to, Car- to be fair to Garth Brooks, it's a good look. Yeah, no, like, because they, it was like, I remember like the magazine where they had the two banners from like their live shows and you're like, oh, I could totally see this being like a good, yeah, it looks good. And then how you could have these vastly different types of music, but they're like identifying with that letter i guess gangster rap was pretty big then too but i never yeah. never yeah. liked doggy that. style came out that year uh Gin that was juice number 52 that was one of the very mm. first records i bought when i was a little kid was doggy style uh i think see th- my parents would never let me buy that yeah my parents wouldn't let me buy uh what's my age again <laughs> <laughs> oh man so do you want not i got a funny parent story that that brings nine snails and weird al yankovic together okay um so I don't know how it was that my that uh, I I guess I'm like I just play everything to death. So my sister listened to it a couple of times like you want it. And so I'd like listen to that in the car and not understand that maybe the lyrics would be offensive or something. Mm-hmm. So you know how like uh, Weird Al doesn't always do parody songs. Sometimes he just writes funny songs. And yeah. so there's one called yeah. Those Were the Good Old Days. And he's just remembering high school and stuff. And it's like kind of weird. And there's a part where he's like. I remember in the basement pulling the wings off of flies and torturing rats. And my dad hated that song. And then flash forward to me listening to the downward spiral in the car with my oh, dad. Man. There, and there there's was a, a song. lot of darkness in those uh, early Weird Al songs. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they were very pretty dark. I mean, he got, uh, I, there are some uh, tracks there about uh, like how lonely he is and how he mm-hmm. can't get a date and how he contemplates killing himself and, and he has a song called uh, where it goes, I want to fuck you like an animal. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, no, but so Luigi in- does not care for that song. He just shook his head at me. <laughs> 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 he did enjoy. I remember Luigi did mention to me that he loved um, doggy style, though. Oh, yeah. I could see that. Woof, woof. 
Yeah. Now, uh, one song that Weird Al released that year, because it was the year that he put out a Greatest Hits album, mm-hmm. was a track that was about uh, the way that cable news had changed. Oh, yeah. Uh, that was a parody of a song by the Crash Test Dummies. Uh, oh, the song yeah. is uh, Headline News. Yeah. Oh, God, yes. Once there was this kid who took a trip to Singapore <laughs> and brought along a spray paint and when he finally came back he had cane marks all over his bottom I don't like, get why this is funny <laughs> he said that it was from when the warden whacked it so like oh yeah i know that song too and you're doing a weird version of it like i don't is it like a comedy, just that comedy of identification like what am i well weird al highlights the fact that the that the words you choose to use in a pop song are entirely arbitrary and don't actually impact the emotional experience you have of the song also Except that was that about does the, it not i feel like what it happens though is it actually shows that they're not entirely arbitrary, though. They're par- they're at least partially arbitrary. But it's also brilliant topical because okay, so he picks three events. The first one that you're hearing described is this. They're all world famous, you know, like like Andre said, uh, you know, crazy headline news events. And so this one was a kid, an American, that was caught spray painting cars in Singapore. And in Singapore, the punishment for that is to be caned. Which means they put you on this A-frame thing and they pull your pants down and they slap your ass with this a cane. This doesn't seem like political commentary, though. Just oh, it's seems not. Like it's expressing just expressing like, a thing that happens. Yeah, I know. But I was like, oh, my God, I forgot about that. That's so awesome. Well, if there is an ideology why in it. Why is I, it awesome? Right. We want to know why it's awesome. Because it's 1994 in, mem- in memoriam. <laughs> I think the answer is that it's not awesome. <laughs> I agree with Asia. 24-Hour News had uh, originally been, the idea was, we are going to provide people with information that they need where they don't have to wait until the news comes on to get mm-hmm. it. This is like, uh, you know, one of the the things that was, uh, you know, eventually gave birth to the information age, right? You don't have to wait for information. It's there for you when you want it. But then what happened was that the 24-hour news cycle, it uh, churned through information way too quickly. And as a result, people started to... Uh, manufacture stories and then you know the cnn and headline news channels they got to the point where what they were doing was they were paying more attention to stories than the stories deserved Mm -hmm. right and so the song isn't about the politics of uh singapore and whether corporal punishment is a good idea or if uh, you know uh, we should be sending people overseas to spray paint things or chew gum or whatever Uh, but it was about that, you know, here's this thing, and it happened, and I don't know how I'm supposed to feel about it, but I'm mm-hmm. going to hear about it 24 hours a day for the next six months. I get, Well, I guess the reason why I it's feel cr- like you mm-hmm. made a, a bigger point than Weird Al did. But I got there through the song. Yeah, yeah. it doesn't matter if it, what, Will, I, what Weird Al's intentions are yeah. if this is the experience that Andre has. I still think it sucks. Like, I'm not having that experience, but, like, I can res- I can 
feel sympathetic and respectful towards your experience. I think it's a part of a whole thing of uh, the way that culture worked in the late 80s and early 90s of cultural uh, detournement where you have these like MST3K Mm -hmm. and Weird Al Yankovic who are taking the cultural products that are, you know, supposed to be sacrosanct. Mm -hmm. You know, they're supposed to be uh, entirely unitary and, uh, you know, taking just the music out Mm -hmm. and replacing it the lyrics with nonsense or, you know, talking over the movie or, you know, doing things so that we don't feel like we are constantly having to sit quietly in church listening to our cultural God. To So, like, it's a sort of mimicking of a cultural artifact by being sort of, like, too close to, to the letter in imitation to reveal its absurdity or to reveal its sort of, like, political ineptitude or... I think I think so. Like a lot. I mean, a lot of times he does point out like how stupid things are. I'm just trying to figure out like what like this thing has become such a circus that now I'm writing parody songs. But just be. But isn't there who is it? But this was also like the first time that stuff was happening because this well, was no. That is not the first time. Like, <laughs> something to turn him on is a thing that was no, no, no. I mean, like like, like these big. Like now, now we're we're just waiting for the next mother to kill her children. But there was a time when that hadn't been a thing that was covered twenty four hours, and it was like, holy cow! Oh, so you're saying the surveillance apparatus, the surveillance, yeah. to this extent that it is needs to needs to be parodied by work. It hadn't. The, I, okay. Like, I mean, cause that's the other reason why I was cracking up about this caning thing is because when I was little at the time I like totally just accepted that because you're a kid and you're just like man the world is a bizarre strange place and you get older and you're like <laughs> I don't understand actually, anything so I don't understand this either yeah, yeah. <laughs> but then I'm looking back at it now and I'm like that was actually really fucking crazy that this like 12 year old or whatever got like publicly spanked on his bare ass in front of another um, country a little like, bit more than spanking yeah I think about this a lot too especially in terms of like things like JonBenet Ramsey. Mm-hmm. Like, it is really fucked up how much I knew about JonBenet yeah. Ramsey no, considering how little I was yeah. at the time. Like, and like I knew, you probably shouldn't even remember that. I remember yeah. it vividly and I remember my mother talking about it to like her manicurist at the yeah. beauty salon and being like, she's like talking about like like pedophilia they were just like talking about mm-hmm. like and i was just like i mean yeah it's weird that my parents were talking about this but, but they didn't think i was listening you know the way mm-hmm. it works they never, do. they never think you're listening but it's also just like and they would like openly talk about like the autopsy on Jeez. like national news at like yeah. 5 p.m and yeah. it's just like this is unacceptable this is completely fucked up and it's yeah. such a prelude to to um reality tv as uh, it is yeah. now and also especially how it was actually in the mid to late 90s with like the the swan do you guys remember that show about, yes, yes, I remember about that plastic show. surgery. Where instead of like a makeover show or like it was a makeover loser, show, where it was yeah, it, where you got surgery. You got yeah, it makeover. was a makeover. Show. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> extreme makeover plastic surgery edition was what it was. You know what? You, that reminds me of uh, like America's MTV. T- next top model if David Cronenberg had created it. Exactly. It's so yeah. messed up. It's um, MTV actually still played music then, but they also started re- Real World during mm-hmm. that time, mm-hmm. and which is like yeah. they they the music was a part of the show as it is now, sort of, but mm-hmm. like. Um, the reality television show, they didn't, like, just get a, a house and get jobs and get mm-hmm. free drinks all the time. Like, you got a house, and then you had to go get a job as well and figure that out on your own. Like, they just kind of followed you in your daily life other than creating a life for well, you. Well, that was a really, I mean, that was, like, when it actually had, a, I think, a cult- cultural and social purpose. Oh, I really liked it. Because, like, that was when Pedro was on the class, right? Or in the, whatever you call yeah, it. Yeah, I group. think, yeah. And, I mean, you know, this is, like, going in 
middle America suburban houses and like they really I'd never had... seen relationships like that before. And it really just said like this is these there are many different people in this world and they live their lives. And they put them in the house together and it actually made sense instead of yeah. like having yeah. the same like seven attractive weirdos yeah. in the house. They were like, no, I've literally never met a black person. I'm going to go live with them now. Yeah. Yeah. And it was just, yeah, I was really amazed by that because yeah, it just showed how other people live and that, I don't know, it, like, it did a lot of really good things, I think, for culture before it turned into complete garbage. Um, <laughs> yeah, I... I agree that it's complete garbage, and I will say it like I did about pop music. It is gorgeous, beautiful garbage. Um, Do you garbage, watch MTV now? Um, I over break. I watched a lot of the of uh, Chloe and um, Courtney take the Hamptons. I didn't know that was on MTV. It's not on MTV. It's on E. I'm sorry, I just got all confused. Oh. MTV, I'm sorry. the I channel. I'm sorry, I fucked everything up. It's I'm so sorry. Yes, MTV is specifically. I'm sorry, I misunderstood. <laughs> um, so no, only happy when it rains came out in '95. Thank you. Uh, uh, that's a song. Oh, can I, can I, the, to finish the Weird Al story. <laughs> so uh, when I got, you know, the downward spiral and I was like totally blown away and like frightened by these new emotions and these new sounds. And I'm like, I'm not sure about this. There's, there's a song on there called Heresy, which is sung. That's a really It starts song. out, re- yeah, really new wave and really like falsetto and creepy. And that's the, very, uh, I guess that's David Bowie. Heresy is. Yeah, I think it's more like I think it's more like no wave or new wave or like, you know, really out there like uh, Lower East Side New York cabaret or something. <laughs> um, but the, the chorus is your God is dead and no one cares. If there, there is, is a hell, I'll, I'll see you there. That's your how it goes. It sounds exactly dead. like that. Yeah. Well, the falsetto is okay with me listening to that. He so his eyes shut. Because he is afraid to see. <laughs> so anyway, I was like, what is this? And I was like, kind of like, dad, I don't know if I should be listening. I was. Oh, yeah, that I feeling was, when you're young I of like that, creeping guilt when you're yeah. listening to something you shouldn't be listening to. I was to. the child. And I said, I'm like, dad, I don't know if I should be listening to this. And he's like, well, I, I don't know. I mean, you you know, you listen to the weird owl with the pulling the wings off of flies. <laughs> and I mean, I don't see the difference. Completely comparable. <laughs> that's a really wise yeah. dad. Well, that's a really and cute thing. I was like, thing. all right, I'm going for it. That's also a really cute thing that little kids do <laughs> sometimes. Well, they'll tell you like, um, I'm not allowed to watch yeah. this. And I'm like. You are. You're just afraid of it and need to be told by an outside force that it's okay not to watch it. It's which is just sort of basic instinct. To me. Yeah. <laughs> there is this one of my that was ninety two first albums oh. was Total, which is like a I don't know how to explain it. It's like a black girl R and B group. And they, they were had, called Total. It's called Total. It's the name of the band. Um, and there was uh, like a a skit in the middle because they do that on albums. Why do they do that on albums? The um, skits have gotten better, I feel like. And it was like the audio of a girl masturbating in a bath. And like, Whoa. I was way too young to have this. And like, my mom used to listen to the albums before she gave it to me, but she didn't catch that one. I remember <laughs> listening to it like, oh my God, <laughs> she doesn't know. <laughs> oh my God. So then what did you this just like walk around? extremely graphic. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. On my, like on my CD player. Yeah. Wow. On my disc man. That's great. Listening to um, a girl masturbating in the bath on the, in the CD. Oh, I man. was listening to the Lion King soundtrack a lot in <laughs> That part where, where Scar gets Yeah, total. Gets all. I don't think it's the album, though. Oh, wait. What about Scar? I, don't, I was just going to say something dirty that's, no, about that's Scar. A, that's that, that skit Scar's where Scar up. is like, making out with Simba. Scar is one of the best Disney villains, I think. Because it's Jeremy Irons just being like... 
Also, Jeremy Scar. Irons. I remember. Yeah, and also I re- never really. I realized live in a in a peace tower by the ocean. Super like nefarious bisexual kind of character. No, but Disney does that a lot. Yeah, it's true, but I didn't realize that about Scar in particular till recently when he's just like, you f- you fools, like you know, or, um, uh, whenever when he's singing his song, be prepared, mm-hmm. and he's like singing to his like harem of hyenas. Yeah, and they're all like marching and like doing kind of like kind of sick choreography actually. Except it's all sort of Prussian at the same time. I don't know. Wait, it's very Prussian? weird. Can you explain? You know, that? with like lots of marching oh, and okay. you know, turning of the heads. In blue. It's very good. It does say "sex in the dust," by the way, because <sighs> when we were it when says that- SFX. It's a it was put there by the special effects crew. Dude, you're full of shit. We freeze framed it on the VHS. It's it says SFX. As in sexy, fucking Xanadu. I don't know. I. There's there's cocks in the in the palace in Little Mermaid. There's sex in the dust. It's all true. Oh, uh, Beaker flips off Scrooge in Muppets Christmas Carol. Oh, I missed that. We watched that recently. Oh my God, he totally does. It's all true. <laughs> I would like to transition to another album from 1994 that I enjoyed. Um, that album is uh, by Slow Dive, and it is called Suvlaki. And uh, uh, just play. Andre, could you play just like the first track? Oh yeah, if that isn't, is acceptable. Isn't Suvlaki type of dish? Uh, I think meal. it has to do with a space station, I believe. Okay, here it goes. <laughs> just close your eyes and listen to it for a few minutes, for a few seconds. That is, um, I don't know. How do you guys feel about this? I think this is extremely beautiful, and I got a little, like, warm inside listening to it. I've never heard it before. Um, I, of course, was too young when this came out to, like, know what this was. I didn't get, I didn't get introduced to Slow Dive or Ride or any of those bands till I was in high school, but... I'm thinking about that is exactly what 1994 sounds like. Right? It's like this, like if, fuzzy um but fuzzy like distorted but also really beautiful and airy rock. and that spacey. That was alternative rock. Makes me think of sundresses. Floral yeah. sundresses. But those yeah. those bands were all English bands, right? Yeah, these are all like English like and um, English and Scottish bands. Yeah. Really? Cuz I was thinking like Oh, this is like the single soundtrack, and I'm just imagining like Ethan Hawke and Matt Damon drinking coffee somewhere where it's rainy. Now re- it is a type of food. I like- don't know why I thought it was a space station. <laughs> <laughs> the Reality Bite soundtrack did come out uh, that year. Oh, okay, cool. So there was a good Smashing Pumpkin huge, song out there. It's huge. Uh, was that the soundtrack. year No Alternative came out? No. I think No Alternative came out. That was like a a collection. What well, was sort of like? I think it was like to raise money for. HIV AIDS or some some like 90s cause celeb it was called mm-hmm. no alternative and they had you know smashing pumpkins and even the beastie boys and the verlaines and everything and then nirvana had a hidden track that was the hit of the album called verse chorus verse it came out in 1993 and it was aids relief Okay, I take it. I take that back. I'm I feel sorry like could, for bringing up the wrong. You can still talk about music that was made in yeah. 1993, 1994. Well, it's not like the year. The, the year reason, ends like everybody right. had to burn all their CDs that they bought. Like, in the album came in, out in 2013, but it definitely yeah. is a 2014 album. Yeah, and right. actually, this is a point I wanted to bring up 
um, and this is a really good time to do it, I think, is that the, how it's interesting to me how we're so mired in this discussion of like, oh, well, if it was 93 or it was 94 and then we're still we're like, oh, mm-hmm. it's fine. We can still talk about it because it's relevant. I think that is only really true for this period of time and the times before it or really times before like the early 2000s, because listening to the radio uh, was still like a thing that people did. Uh, and uh, also, and so you things bled into each other much mm-hmm. easier, easier, um, more easily with more yeah. ease. And <laughs> the time when a piece of music came out mattered because that was when you were hearing it. And plus, yeah. because without the internet, stuff would get released in England. For example, this actually, actually, the Souvlaki was released in England in '93 and released in America in '94. And that's true. Also, like the Power of Love by Celine Dion. Uh, came out in 93, but was a bigger hit in 94 than it was in mm-hmm. 93. Like, things like Bleed Over. And that's sort of true now. Like, I think about the Beyonce album, or I think about, um, uh, I don't know, like the Frozen soundtrack or something. Like, things bleed in, like, can, you know, depending on the audience uh, and the uh, sort of vibe they're going for, they can, trends or musical albums can bleed over into the following years. But less so now. My My whole concept of time has changed, actually. Like Definitely. the 2000 to 2014, like I know that's 14 years, but it doesn't have these like intense markers. Like right. it's just all blurred together. And I'm just like, that's what, a product of what? age though, too. Yeah. <laughs> of you of guys, your elder years. You guys, it's just, I mean, like you turn around and a decade's gone. But it really, I don't know. <laughs> For like, real though. Yeah. Yeah. It's so weird though. Like, I don't know. Cause I know like, af- like in the early 2000s, we were always like, okay, anything 2000 is now. And then you're like, wait a minute, now that's like 14 years ago. It's not current anymore. But it's not recent. 2010 was five years ago, and I like can't handle it. I have a younger sister who is still a baby in my mind. She's about to be able to, like, she can buy cigarettes and she will be able to drink soon. It's just like, what are you talking about? Who do you think you you were born in the 90s? How can you do those things? Yeah. Yeah. Or like babies. Born, or like pe- kids born after 2001 it's like so weird and they, they can, can talk walk. to you about yeah, it yeah yeah oh yeah they can totally no, there like, was oh, a there God, was a style yeah. of music that was uh popular in 94 that was just hitting its crest then that posited itself as being the music of the future it was the uh, electronic music that came out of uh uh, England in the that year. Are you this talking w- about Orbital? Orbital and Underworld and uh to a lesser extent uh you know the Orb uh <laughs> And William, <laughs> William Orbit. That's because they have less letters in their name. <laughs> Orbital, and to a lesser extent, the Orb. <laughs> and the Prodigy, and a, and a bunch of acts like that. Yeah. You know, they they were trying to create this sound that was like un, nothing you'd ever heard before, but the way that they did it was by the sampling sound of London. sounds that you were already familiar with. He's yeah. sampling sounds and then transforming them to music and also images. So, so I, like, music videos are becoming important, too. Yes. yes. I, I'd like to play a little clip here from... Uh, are We Here by Orbital from the album Civilization, which came out in 1994. Are we here? Are we unique? Are we something utterly special in the universe? Or are we uh, an example of many, many uh, civilizations that have emerged, many, many different life forms? What does God say? Sounds like the future. Sounds like a scene in seven years in Tibet. Luigi thinks it sounds like seven years in your butt. (laughs) So, yeah, that sounds like the future to me in the sense that it's like Asia was saying, like, it was supposed to be about the future. So it seems like the, the 
like the music of like the music of future past. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, well, it has a real world feel too, like uh, like world music. I don't know what the fuck world music is. It's when you I'm sample you, like like metal, it. like that thing has music that's not made by white people. It's music that's not made by white people. But then yeah. why but are they calling it world reco- music? Because it's, it's ethnic. Because it's the same. Because there's a whole world out there, right. man. Not just uh, Seattle. Like white people are white, and they're also here. And it, people who aren't here are over there, the and those the people world. are not white. And that's the world. When you leave America or the UK, then you go out into the world, and that's where you find the world music. And yeah. So world music was there's a burgeoning a whole world thing of music. at this point. Yeah. Right. It's like Other places call American. F- Music, world music. I feel like world music is the kind of stuff you get at Starbucks, <laughs> like the compilation CDs. No, that's when you get jazz. It's like, but isn't there also like this world, world music, yeah, like Enya and stuff? Yeah. And oh my all, God! So you were talking Cafe about the singer, too. the singer songwriter thing. Yeah. There was a CD this year to, to talk about 2014 in review. That first of all, you're like Starbucks. You still have CDs. It's like the only place in the world you can buy a CD now. Um, and it it made me th- <laughs> <laughs> it made me think of uh. All those, you know, because before they had the penny clubs in the in the music magazines, they had those things where it says, uh, cat, sorry, no CODs. And you would order the Time Life collection of like singer songwriter and they'd have a whole commercial and an infomercial. And the CD they had this year was a compilation CD and it had a sticker on it. And uh, it was like the singer songwriter movement when artists invited the world to look inside. Wow, it's a pretty terrible tagline. Yeah. Wait, I don't want to look inside. <laughs> Not even gross. John Denver. I want to yeah. look inside of John Denver. Inside, <laughs> journey to the, the center of John Denver. <laughs> journey to the sun. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! So world music, future music, um, leather videos <laughs> about like videos where people are like being hooked and fucking animals. Oh, a lot of like a lot of like industrial imagery in the in the videos. I can't, I can't mm-hmm. say enough about leather. Uh, uh, I just f- found out oh, that, that a very important album came out in 1994 that is very timely right now. Um, Mariah Carey's <gasps> Christmas album. That's right. Oh All I God. want for Christmas is you was on that record. Do you yes. think that's like the last great like contemporary Christmas song? Like, there's that. There's Last Christmas, which is good. When did Christmas in Compton come out? Oh, I don't know. Wait, don't Christmas know. in Hollis? No, no, there is a there is a gangster rap Christmas carol. Why would you And it's it's insanely funny and offensive and they like hit there's every a vi- There's a v- movie called Christmas in Compton a 2012 comedy starring Keith David. Maybe it's not called that but it's like by NWA. Uh, I feel like I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I just heard it this year. I mean, and they hit like, I mean, it is all about fucking bitches and shooting things and it's awful and it's like. Do you mean straight out of Compton by NWA? Like, what are you talking about? Well, yeah. They, no, it's a Christmas They don't song. say explicitly that that's a Christmas song, but you can you can tell that, they, that it's Christmas we time. We all have our own traditions for Christmas. <laughs> no, yeah. there is seriously the a gangster The cops were harassing them because they were out on the street caroling. Oh. Is it called Merry Motherfucking Christmas? Yes. By Easy e Yes. Yes. Okay. You want to play it? Why do you think that this song is interesting? Because it's Christmas time. <laughs> it's just you don't want to talk about Mariah Carey and you want to derail the conversation as that was going on. I'm sorry. Merry Christmas, motherfucker!
thing I really like, though, about All I Want for Christmas Is You is that <laughs> um, the wonderful video she makes, it's like kind of old timey and cute. And like there's like a Santa. She was great at videos. She was really cute outfits. She's just great at posing. So that's not a very like leather driven <laughs> video. <laughs> the theme of that video is not leather. Um, I like <laughs> theme of no Mariah Carey. But yeah, like leather. so yeah, like but I guess that fits what the paradigm you were mentioning earlier though, Asia, about how uh, there was like the barbecue music. Although that's not a barbecue music song. That's a Christmas song, obviously. Barbecue slash. Um, Family reunion. Yeah, it's a, it's a important genre. Right. I definitely include um, that Marvin Gaye song, "Keep on Dancing." That's not what it's called. Um, I the one that, that one. the one that um. Oh, the one that was uh, stolen lines. by yeah. yeah. Do you guys remember hearing that um, these songs though, like on the radio when you were younger? Because I don't remember. I don't really either. remember the radio. I was too little. Do you, Andre, or you, Eric, remember hearing them? I well, remember the. You had to go out of your way. The thing was, in di- different parts of the the world, <laughs> in different parts of the country, the the kind of radio that was available to you was different, right? Like clearly, I had access to a, a certain uh, breadth of country and western music stations as a kid growing up in South Carolina. That perhaps oh, yeah. you know Eleanor, growing up in Glencoe, Illinois, Illinois, didn't have <laughs> access to. But then again, you know, we used to have US 99, the country station. I grew up and went to college, and and I was like, Billy Joel, who's that? And then. That sounds like. I. I wish I didn't know who Billy Joel was. It's like it's like the sailor that's like I'm gonna walk inland until they don't know what an oar is. <laughs> yeah, that's how I feel about Billy Joel. Well, I would. I mean, I discovered Nine Inch Nails on the rock new rock alternative station. Um, college radio stations yeah. are often. Oh, that was a thing in '94 too. She, college radio. Yeah. It was a huge deal. Now in South Carolina, no colleges and therefore that's no radio not stations. True. But, but Furman. Colin. <laughs> the uh, the Mariah Carey though that was I heard that everywhere so like that, yeah, that that's was... like a you don't have a choice to hear that song it's at the mall it's yeah. that's it's kind just of... there and I, I also it didn't connect to me 1994 I assumed it was from the 90s but it's sort of like it's always been there like oh that's that's a newer Christmas song but that's just part of this it like eternal Christmas it hasn't died yeah. yeah well well she re-recorded it really uh yeah like last year the year before it's also really big because of the movie what's the movie called the one that Love actually. Oh. Huh? Love rather. <laughs> love though. <laughs> but have you considered love? <laughs> yeah. I hate that movie. But wait, what is I actually wait, now it's I in, it's in that movie and people love that movie so they put, they watch that it. That was that's responsible for the resurgence of that I song, think so. you think? I really do. It's also just a great song. It's so like Well, there's like a, like a scene in the movie where that's played. So. Yeah. The Blue Album by Weezer came out in 1994. Oh, yeah. That's something I could talk about because that's the kind of rock I listen to. That's a good, that was a good album. I know all the words. I used to just listen to it like five times in a row. I just sit down (laughs) and keep listening to one album over and over and over again. Not in in 1994. Right, but later on. Yeah, yeah. I know what you mean. Like, I knew a guy who was such a Weezer fan that his wife got pregnant and he was like, if it's a boy, we're naming it Jonas because we're big (sighs) Weezer fans. And I was like, oh my God, please. Please make it a girl. Please make it a girl. It and was it was a girl named totally her Hashpipe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was, and that came out like at the end of school that year. I remember, like it was like coming it was out. A summer album. Of it course. was a summer that album. Sounds awesome. And so yeah. we were just summer like of the blue album. Yeah. So oh you. my god. We were like every. We were just ooey ooh, Buddy Holly, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, Mary Tyler Moore. Is there a song iconic from video. that album that you'd like to play for the people, Asia? Um, iconic videos. I don't know. 
Like only in dreams, perhaps, or I feel, I feel I like the sweater. Song. The beginning of that song doesn't isn't very catchy. The one I think of is in the garage. In oh, in the garage, of course. Now, when I go and do that, I I really need you guys to just keep talking. Okay, oh. we'll keep talking. Sorry. Well, the sweater the sweater song was the the first <laughs> single off that album. Wait, the sweater song was the first single. Yeah. Oh yeah, because me and my sister listened to. Uh, sorry. <laughs> you said to talk. <laughs> then the music happened. I've got Dungeon Master's Guide. I've got. Sided die. I've got Kitty Fry and Nightcrawler too. Waiting there for me, yes I do. I do. I feel like that speaks a lot to like the friends I had in high school who would have those things. <gasps> Luigi just woke up when you played that song. I'm so excited. <laughs> Apparently Luigi's a Weezer fan. <laughs> or maybe just a uh, Dungeons and Dragons fan. <laughs> no, I when he you looks look at like Lu- a little demon from the <laughs> No, when I look at Luigi, I totally think of like a sad harmonica song and he's like just looking for a home. I will be posting a picture, listeners, of this of the new ghost dog. Go- noisy ghost. Sorry. <laughs> 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 noisy ghost dog. Uh, it reminds me of Ghost Dad. Um <laughs> He killed Forrest Whitaker with a samurai and took his energy. <laughs> <laughs> that is where this song is now. Wait, so like, yeah. you used to listen um, so to... So all my friends were, uh, like, high friends, if you still remember me. I don't talk to anyone from high school. Mm-hmm. They were nerdy in a different way. Like, I was nerdy in, like, a, a bookish way, but not in, like, a like a sci-fi, right. not in an anime, not in a Dungeons & Dragons me way. Too. They were. <laughs> and so I think I identified that song in the way that I was alone with my thoughts, but not in the way that I liked all the things all the other nerds liked. I think everyone could identify that song somewhat, right? Yeah, I think so too. I mean, there are like, like, like Andre saying like explicitly like geeky references. Like, I don't know. God, what is the difference between nerd and geek? Do I care? I don't know. That's not. That's another. (laughs) That's another paradigm that I'm not interested in investigating. (laughs) I think also with that album coming out, was that their first? That was their first like Mm -hmm. huge hit, right? I think that was their first album. Their first. No, Pinkerton was the first, wasn't it? No, the second one. Pinkerton was the follow up, and then they disappeared. Oh, for a little while. For like 10 years, and then the, the Green album came out like oh, way they later. Did. It was a long time. It was like a hiatus. A hiatus? Hiatus. That was, uh, no, that wasn't until much later when that song came out. So no, I was... kind of just stopped after I movie. was just saying that reminded me that, because me and my sister used to listen to the oldies, oldies 104.3, and 104.3. then Q101 with yeah. Dick, Dick Biondi and John Records Landecker. And, <laughs> what a and, radio name. Yeah. <laughs> I'm jealous. I wish that were Biondi, my name. <laughs> oldies 104.3. I don't know how the rest of the song goes. Um, Five, eight, eight, two, three. <laughs> I, I you guys, like... Al Pamonte died. The car guy. Yeah. Um, no, but I think <laughs> okay. the okay. Weezer was amazing, though, because it was like everything that we loved about like oldies music, you know, like oldies pop, 60s pop and alternative rock. And you're like, holy crap, it's right there. And he's singing about Buddy Holly. And Mary Tyler Moore, and we love Nick at Night, too. So what is it about 1994 in this, with the success, like massive success of this album, that sort of lends itself to this nostalgia aesthetic that's so different from the futuristic mode of the orb, the orb, and uh, Nine Inch Nails? Well, I I have a theory. Go. All right, so the... My Wrong. I, my idea that was <laughs> next. The, go the, on. the people who grew up and made this music, the people who were, uh, you know, like... 
the people in Bikini Kill or in uh, Buddy uh, in uh, Weezer or in uh, Nirvana, when they were young, they were uh, left alone at mm-hmm. home in suburbia. To, oh, so it could only it's so only they built attachments to their TV shows and the mm. records they listened to and their toys, and you know the people that were f- from before, they built. Uh, emotional attachments to the people in their lives and to the things that happened to them and to their memories. And so, you know, when the, when your emotional life is so wrapped up in these trinkets and these fetish objects, then, you know, it's pretty easy to translate that into a new fetish object. So do you see this as connected to the Saturday morning cartoons phenomenon of what is toyetic and that becoming a thing that uh, shapes your worldview and your experience of, um, like making art sure these things are the oh yeah they're the the leftovers they're the symptoms of being uh you know emotionally uh dragged along behind a, the truck of capitalism so the wait, swe- wait 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 are, are you guys prepared to have your mind blown wait can i i'm gonna make a point though so the sweater <laughs> is like the sweater in the sweater song is toyetic it's a thing that lends itself to a certain emotional experience Right. He's got an emotional connection to a sweater because he can't have an emotional connection to a person. Okay. Wait. So now the Eric, person inside the sweater, for mm. example. Eric, blow our minds. Around this time, a compilation album came out of alternative bands doing covers of Saturday morning cartoon theme songs. Wow. And I think it's just called like Saturday morning cartoons or something. And they've got like Josie and the Pussycats and like Matthew Sweet singing something. Oh, and yeah. Matthew Sweet. And, uh, Which is who's different from Matthew Deer. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that, when you said that, when you're like, could this be connected? And I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> there was this thing. No, Holy crap. that is really cool yeah. that they're connected, uh, it, like, in such an explicit way. Yeah, there was a weird compilation album thing because there was no alternative. And then there was also If I Were a Carpenter, where a bunch of alternative bands covered Carpenter songs. Oh, I was going to say, are they doing... Basically, uh, compilation albums were real big during this Well, time. that's part of the nostalgia thing, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, because they grew up listening to the Carpenters and watching Josie and the Pussycats. I, was, I couldn't tell if you were, was that going to be a Peter, Paul, Mary thing or a Hammer. Or a, a Hammer. The Hammer. <laughs> they're covering the Hammers <laughs> or a Carpenters thing. Yeah, that's interesting. I wonder... It's just such, it's such a gamut. Like, I keep trying to pigeonhole it. I treat, treat trying to be like, no, 1994 was just interested in, in latex and rubber. Mm-hmm. And like, but like, that's not true. No. There's Would you so like much to hear song. Butthole Surfers perform the theme song to the underdog cartoon? Oh, yes, my God. Please. I love the Butthole Surfers. <laughs> also, uh, two years later, they would gain pro- prominence in um, uh, da, 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 Romeo and Juliet soundtrack. Oh, that's right. Mm. Which was a compilation. <laughs> oh, you're right. band like i don't know were they a cult band would they count as a cult band the butthole surfers well they had a lot of uh, big success compared to the kind of bands that are compared uh comparatively mainstream now right like you know uh, npr talks at the end of the year about the cloud nothings album right you know so i mean 
what does that mean? Like the butthole surfers would have been playing the Super Bowl if they were around now. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Hey, they made it onto the Simpsons. Well, a lot of things end up on the Simpsons, which is a really banal statement to make. Oh, <laughs> well, I don't. Well, well, okay, but back in the mid '90s when things were on the Simpsons, it mattered. I think. Do we talk about the Simpsons every episode? I feel like we do. It's like a I thing that happens. I think, but I think that's. Interesting. I think that Eric just talks about the Simpsons every time he opens his mouth. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm sorry. Aside from the downward spiral, that was my cultural Rosetta Stone. <laughs> well, I mean, the night the I almost said um, the Simpsons. As a show, I guess in '94, I don't remember it. I, I wasn't really well because because now when they when they have celebrities or they make references, it's a carefully marketed Constru- yeah. constructed thing. But in the '90s when that happened, it was like holy cow! He went to a record store because there's like the Homer alternative. It's the Lola Lola first and more was on. Wait, yeah. there, did did Sonic Youth come out with an album '94? Uh, yes, Experimental Jet Set Trash Cash and No Star came out in 1994. That was their one hit, Bull in the Heather. Oh. Uh, I um, don't actually like Sonic Youth. I don't know why I asked that. Because I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I just think... No, but I know that. Let's not talk about it. Well, no, no, it no, was we should also talk the year it, that not only uh, members of Sonic Youth, but also members of Smashing Pumpkins and uh, Iggy Pop and a number of other... Uh, icons from the uh, alternative rock world at that time uh, guest starred on a show on Nickelodeon called Pete and Pete. Right. Which Polaris. had a very recognizable theme Pete song. Pete Pop was like a regular yeah. character though. He was He yeah. was the dad yes, of one Mona, of the girls. Was Mona, Nona? Mona. It was Mona. Mona. It was Mona. Yeah. Michelle Mona's Trachtenberg's dad, is that correct? Yes. 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 Jupiter or Thor is perfect. We need Atlas for our long distance stuff. The Titan will be even better. They shouldn't have canceled Navajo. Wait till you see our submarines with Polaris. Attention all personnel, this is CBTS. Base vehicle pre-count operations will start on my mark at 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. It's not a strange. You look at happily near I'll give you a shell of shame, That was a good song. Oh man, we had a ca- we had a ca- single. Yeah, my sister wrote a uh, collected box tops from like Cheerios or something and got <laughs> a Polaris Pete and Pete ca- single that was like hosted by Pete and Pete. Oh, and cool. he like they introduced each song by Polaris. So oh. well, there is something interesting and different, I think, about youth culture connection to pop music in '94. That's similar, but also very different from the way that interaction is today, because youth culture. Obviously, youth culture meant something different to a six-year-old as it does to a twenty-six-year-old. Um, so, like, you have, um, like, youth culture. I'm like, yeah, youth culture. You know, like for babies. <laughs> like youth culture, but now, when you say youth culture, you mean like, oh yeah, for like teenagers or no, not even teenagers, like people in their twenties or even their thirties. Oh, yeah. You know, and I can't tell if that's just because my perspective has changed or if that's actually a thing that's happening via the media. Well, because the the most amount of money was used to market that stuff because the stakes were the highest. It became the dominant uh, discourse in culture. So then, you know, to not be in touch with youth culture was to not be in touch with culture in general. Yeah. Yes. Um, Yes. Do you think, how does that transcend outside of the Pete and Pete connection between music and the TV show? Are there other instances of this that we can consider? For that time or for now? Both. Because I think what's interesting now 
Um, yeah, because it was very focused on the youth, and there's still that focus, like that's what's cool and whatever. The sonic bridge between the but me now, and the- but now we see people my age and your age and stuff that are like refusing to give up our cultural relevance. Yes. And so there's all this shit where I'm like, they're totally like these car commercials referring to He-Man and stuff. Well, we refuse to give it up because, and also we're able to not give it up. Like we yeah. have the means to not give it up. Yeah. Cause there's enough niche technology out there. I mean there's like, like these of- beer cades. Right, oh, where it's God, like, yeah. those I are like actually the, fucking awesome. Yeah, I like that I'm being marketed to, to so directly when I go yeah. into beer cave. Like, I can drink, and I was a child once, and you're surrounding yeah. me with memories. It's great. Like, I'm just gonna keep like, drinking. Exactly. You're like, it's the best of both worlds. You it's nailed like it. My youth and adulthood. If anything, one of those, uh, you know, old video game case things. It's more attractive now because if I want quarters, I'll just go get some. Yeah. <laughs> right. Oh yeah, but then it's There's, sort of. I choose when I stop playing the game. But don't you feel like it makes you... I'm just going to say, this is how it makes me feel. Uh, I feel a little bit sick to my stomach sometimes through nostalgia. Like, sometimes I feel like it's being forced down my throat. and like dizzying sometimes. And I don't, like, I I hate... I fucking hate BuzzFeed with every fiber of my being. I still read some of that stuff, but I hate this, like, machine that's supposed to be for all, like, for Mm. all people my age. Like, you must get this. And, like, how often they're right, but when they're wrong... (laughs) When they're wrong, just how, like, how wrong they are. Well, it's, it's like, always, and it's, I guess it's a narcissism of small differences thing, but like, it's enough to infuriate me. But it's always like when it's the 10 things everybody like you does that no one says anything about. And then they're like nine are right. And then one's like, oh, and then you put the toilet paper that one way. And you're like, fuck you. Nobody puts toilet paper that way. <laughs> I don't way. know. Stuff like that never really bothers me that much. Cause I just think it's, I don't know. Little annoying things that people complain mm-hmm. about. Like, oh, I really hate it when people, when I can hear someone chewing. I'm always just like fucking deal with it like people eat. Like I don't know. It like I think there are certain things that maybe trigger people for different reasons based on just particular affects or particular orientations toward the world. But I, hear I think in general we need to that chill stuff. out. And I think about in Potemkin how the sailors had to they got angry because there were too many maggots in their bread. Oh yeah. Right? They were like, We should say something. This is too many. Yeah. If it were fewer than this, that would be okay. Yeah. Uh, I like Things like this, the nostalgia machine, is that what you call yeah. it? Yeah. Um, because it helps me to uh, relate to other people in my culture, like a lot of like black girl things. Like, that makes like sense. Like hot combs. Like, you guys know what a hot comb is? No. No, anyone? It I have was an idea. A, it was a metal comb that your mom put on the stove. And they oh. heat it up, and then they straighten your hair with it. And like, yeah, that's familiar. And you guys don't know about this, but all black girls are like, "Oh yeah, burn the shit out!" Like everyone yeah. goes, yeah. "Yes, yeah." They did the yeah, yeah, the, yeah. I yeah. Think the that, a that's thing. that's the risk of this super targeted stuff because yeah. you're never going to learn about these other things because everything is just like, "Hey, remember that really specific thing from that specific time in your yeah. life?" But nostalgia isn't about teaching people about other cultures it's about remembering your own exactly so i think but that's but i think our present culture is only about regressing into it because they're selling you a car through a he-man action Mm. figure instead of saying you're 30 something you don't need to play with he-man but you need a car yeah it's like instead of a it's like trying to be like well you go to arcade bars and you've like bought back all your G.I. Joes off eBay and now you can get this Honda and it'll be like you got but a He-Man. The, but the, the majority of car commercials are like, you're grown, you're sexy. You deserve mm-hmm. this. You deserve this. You know, and I can't decide which I hate more, the like, uh, what you're describing with the car commercial or the BuzzFeed mm-hmm. list or like, you know when you see ads for like chocolate and it's like indulge or like <laughs> feed your bad side and I'm like, <laughs> they're, my bad side, it's not my bad side that 
uh, likes chocolate. It's like no, that's I was, that's that's like ev- that's who I am. Like that's I was, my aside. I was thinking about this recently because I'm a server and people talk to me about food and a lot of times they're going oh, like, I'm going to be bad and I'm like, I just order the thing. Like yeah. I don't want to hear about your. This isn't oh, a this isn't a connection to bread. Just get the bread. I don't even care how you feel about the bread. I know, but the, I, eat the bread. But I'm also a little eat, bit eat sympathetic to it because they, they want you to bear witness to yeah. their sinning. I'm also like super like, fat and I'm like, do you think like I'm not going to be like, yeah, you're indulging. Like I indulge 24 seven. Like leave me alone. But what does it even mean? Like this bad, right? What is like the I, you know back in '94, right? We had an idea of what this bad kid who was like sexy bad. You know, mm-hmm. was leather jacket, like Jared Catalano, Jared Catalano, right, John, so Jordan Catalano, Jordan Catalano, yeah. exactly. The is guy that, who goes, Roger, he from, skips um, class Doug. to go back Roger. behind yeah. the high school and smoke yeah. weed, and he has, uh, you know, sex, and he, <laughs> he has a, you know, <laughs> he, you know, when Roger Raw Dog Patty Mayonnaise behind the bleachers <laughs> on Duck, she Jesus. dated him for a second, and when everyone was like, "What the fuck, Patty?" But people <laughs> like that aren't bad sexy cool now uh there's nothing like cool about some kid who's like a high school dropout who got his girlfriend pregnant like tim riggins and it, or you know something. got fired tim riggins from is sexy in that three way, service jobs because he couldn't <laughs> stop smoking weed but his yeah but the thing about tim riggins in this contemporary Wait, culture situation does everyone we should probably say who tim riggins no is. they'll know they oh. should know if they don't know they shouldn't be listening to this show. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm sorry i'm just i'm just getting a call um i have a friend on the line that that wants me to ask you who Tim Riggins is. Oh, oh okay. Uh, sure. This I'm friend happy, of mine, I'm happy this friend to of mine doesn't know. Uh, Tim Riggins is a character on the show Friday Night Lights, and he is a uh, sort of anti hero who becomes a romantic sort of but hero. But er- Eric wouldn't He's be interested because he hates He's a hottie bad boy. Oh, his the character the character is played by an actor named Taylor Kitsch. Hey yo, you hate Taylor? Whoa. No, he just it's okay. a joke. oh, yeah. I got it now. Yes, uh, it contemporary I can see art it now. No, um, <laughs> he. Man, Tim Riggins is your like, last name was but they is that do, a stage they name? do go on to say like, and you know what? After high school, and you're a badass, you go on to be a loser in your hometown. Exactly, Riggins. but you would never see a story like that no. necessarily in 1994. No, no, they end it there and they drive do off. Do you into see the that sunset. now? Even oh, well, this is what I'm asking: is that I mean, Friday Night Lights is more contemporary than 1994 at this point. But do you think? I mean, does this still translate to 2014? We'll look at we'll look at workaholics. Those are those are like they weren't even cool in high school, and they're just fuck ups and smoke yeah. pot. And they're like, these are the funniest, coolest guys on so television. So that's the well, third thing. That it we, depends well, if you are a workaholic. If you yeah. are one of those dudes and you're like a failing twenty something old, you're like, yeah, that's me. And if you're not, you're like, look at these losers. Yeah, but when I was that, I, I was like, charming. I'm going to do something to make my life better. And then I made it worse because I got a master's well, degree. Well, in the 90s, I think that there was a, this idea that the people who don't pursue uh, ambition, who don't uh, you know, go after a career or a family or whatever and just want to hang out and smoke weed and uh, you know, watch MTV all day, that they were actively giving up on something that they didn't believe in. Not that Yeah, they, they're like counterculture. Right. Yeah. yeah. They that they had chosen to withdraw in disgust rather than <laughs> simply being apathetic. Mm-hmm. Right. This is the Douglas But now Copeland you don't thing. have a choice. You just can't Right, exactly. There's no anymore. there's no jobs, there's no <laughs> careers, there's no future. Well, this is late capitalism. Right. right. So it's like we're being all of us forced to be in the movie Slacker. Like, right. We're all Tim Riggins. Well, oh, all, I hate Slacker. I don't want to be in Slacker. This was all pre-millennium, I'm not though. In Slacker. Oh. And that was probably a 95 album, but it made the tricky pre-millennium tensions. Oh, yeah. And I see, like, the 90s was, like, the last gasp of, like, sincere modernism. 
Yeah. Because you could still, because if you're dropout of high school, though, that could still mean that you could form a band and then be Kurt Cobain or that you could still. There was still a potential. There no was still this small. possibility of like. But that, following your dreams and succeeding. There's a little bit of that still going on. I feel like a lot of people want to buy from like, or buy Everyone, services and goods from small vendors. There's like the like Etsy culture, you know, like. Oh, yeah, but it's a I return thinking, to that. And also, because yeah, there was a the, those, those people on Etsy aren't making a living except like one percent of them makes a living. I know, I know. Yeah, but people well, want to do it. Well, now <laughs> also you see it in terms of startup cultures, right? Like everyone wants to start the new Uber. Or, you know, because well, that, it's the second the new... wave because this was also the 90s when the big internet bubble happened and then there was this huge crash at the millennium and I feel like they're, that we're like forever cut off whether it's real or not but there's this like, like now if you're going to do something and follow your dreams you're sort of like knowing it's a stupid idea and going back to it or something yeah I like, know what you mean. Like, it's a revival of modernism. It's not a continuation of it. I, 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 I can follow this trajectory. I think this is good. I also, I especially think it, fit, it maps onto the um, here, like loser hero thing of mm-hmm. Jordan Catalano to Tim Riggins to workaholics. I think this is a compelling <laughs> Yeah, that's like a the, journey. The, the decline. Yeah. An unexpected journey. <laughs> uh, I'm actually, I think I want to do some plugs and then I want to wrap up. Um, I'm going to plug the new Noisy Ghost Dog. Um, he's pretty great. <laughs> I'm not gonna plug him. No, I'm no, plug don't my leave. Dog. <laughs> uh, he's pretty great. I'd also like to ask Andre what he would like to plug. Uh, Cuban authorities let Tanya Bruguera go. Tanya, come home to us. Uh, we're worried about you. Be safe, okay? And uh, break out of jail. And uh, bring us Asada Shakur with you. <laughs> yeah. No, leave her there. <laughs> <laughs> She's what? not safe here. Oh, good point. Oh, oh, she's yeah. a, it's not going to be any well, better for Asada. She's not safe. Which, wait, do you think she's safer in Cuba yes. than she is? Yeah, you're probably right. Yes, I do. Which All is, right, well, then Tanya comes here. Asada stays there. All and right? we figure out what to do with her later. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Asia, would you like to plug anything? Uh, I'd like to plug this Manny Petty I got today. Yeah. I'm feeling real grown up. That's very nice. I noticed it, too. <laughs> uh, Eric, what would you like to plug? Well, since Andre covered the uh, political dissident refugee issue i will plug myself and say <laughs> that uh, i was mentioned in the new york times magazine yeah, last week it's pretty cool yeah so you can still check it out on their website would you just search eric wenzel in it or uh, oh it? man i would love to think that you could put that in the search box and get the article that that i was quoted in just um, say the name eric wenzel near a computer and it'll <laughs> pop up did you mean Eric wenzel <laughs> um yeah so it's the lives they lived issue it's a uh poet artist critic that i knew um passed away in the last year and they wrote a an appreciation of him and his life and i was lucky enough to be referred to in it so wonderful i'm so glad um luigi would like to plug something thank you so much everybody for listening to Noisy Ghosts. Happy New Year! Happy, Happy New Year! Year! See you in 1995. <laughs>